You are listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting from UBC's campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. Uh, why did I say Vancouver like that? Oh my god. I am your host, Saira Unju, and I have an awesome show for you today. You're gonna love it so much. We're gonna start off with some shout outs, and by some, I mean three. And then I have my review of The Red Priest eight ways to say goodbye at a PSA break really quick you know what maximum one and a half minutes and then and then we're gonna be back with another review that I will be doing which is lungs and then Silvana's review of Ridge uh, which was presented by the Chan Center and then uh, gonna take a little quick break and afterwards I'm gonna be back with an interview with Chelsea Goodman. So, let's get into those shout-outs, shall we? Oh my god, why do I speak like this? Okay, so our first shout-out is for the VIDF open call for applications. The Vancouver International Dance Festival is accepting applications for the 2021 festival right now. They are focused on supporting the practice and visibility of diverse Canadian contemporary dance artists and companies through professional live stream presentations. They are seeking full evening works that can be creatively reimagined for the camera. Performances will be captured and streamed with multiple cameras switched live. As I was in the festival this year, check out my reviews, hint hint, <laughs> which offers a unique cinematic perspective of each choreography. Social spacing restrictions must be applied to all selected choreo until COVID-19 mitigation policies are relaxed. You can apply until November 21st, so you have some time. You have a couple of days. Just go to the website, which is vidf.ca slash forward slash. I think it's called forward slash. So vidf.ca forward slash submissions for more info and to apply if you want to apply. And our second shout out is for Why Art Why Now. I'm just going to be reading this off of their website because, I mean, they do a really good job of explaining what it is, you know? Why aren't why now? These questions have only become more pertinent as we navigate the many inequities and crises facing our society. We remain optimistic about the potential for arts and culture to help both in healing long-standing wounds and in building an equitable future. How can we use art, culture, and creativity to shape a better world? Co-presented with SFU Woodward's cultural programs, Why Art Why Now is a pair of online conversations between artists and experts to untangle how we as artists can best unlock our potential to revit revitalize revitalize and rebuild. <laughs> Oh my god, we invite you to hold space for and participate in these conversations. These conversations are free and include a 
ESL interpretation, which is really great. The first one is called The Arts and the Mental Health, not the, oh my god, The Arts and Mental Health, on, which is on Thursday, November 19th, which is tomorrow at 10 a.m. And then the second one is Creating a Culture of Well-Being. This will be on November 26th at 2 p.m. You can find more info at the BC Alliance for Arts and Cultures website. Our third and last shout out. Why do I say shout out like that? I'm just questioning everything I pronounce in the show. That's it. This show is just me questioning life. (laughs) How did me pronouncing words become life? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) So Vancouver Podcast Festival. The third annual podcast festival is starting today. It will be going on until the 22nd and it's online. The festival showcases the best storytellers and audio producers from around Vancouver, Canada and the globe. As Hannah McGregor, who is the programming committee member of the festival says. Some of the highlight highlighted events are how to monetize your podcast, a pitch session, producers roundtable, in conversation with Michelle Shepard and Ian Hanoman Singh. Wow, that's a difficult last name. You can get a festival pass or you can also do per ticketed event. The prices range from free to pay what you can to $5 for students, seniors and reduced income. And for adults, it's $10. The full festival pass is $25, which is a bargain considering there are so many interesting events, especially if you're an adult because... Per event, it's $10 and then $25, you can get access to everything. Hell yeah. (laughs) Also, CITR's spoken word coordinator, Hina, will be at the festival, which is pretty amazing. And you can get more info about the Vancouver Podcast Festival and buy the tickets at their website, which is vanpodfast.ca. This is V-A-N-P-O-D-F-E st.ca okay it is time for my review of the red priest eight ways to say goodbye so the red priest eight ways to say goodbye is a play by mieko ochi or ouchi i don't know how to pronounce it it's being put on by the united players of vancouver at the jericho arts center until december 6th it is directed by kelty forsyth and all the plays I've watched so far had one actor, but this one has two. And uh, it also had a violinist, which I'll be getting into later. So it was a nice, you know, nice change of pace. Um, so what is this play? Let me read it off of the program for you. In 1740, Antonio Vivaldi is commissioned to teach a woman to play violin before the King of France in six weeks time. Is such a performance possible? And why would either agree to this? In, in this lush and resonant play by Canadian Mieko Auchi, the challenges of teaching and the beauty of music are laid bare. So, Vivaldi is played by Steve James and the woman is played by Tracy Jennison and the violinist is Giselle Roca. Rosha. Again, I don't know how to pronounce it. I am a little annoyed that the woman character doesn't have a name. She's just woman, but I guess let's not get into that right now. That's the playwright. That's on the playwright, not on the United Players of Vancouver. 
I'm actually uh, having more structure in my reviews now because my thoughts are very scattered and it's not the best trait to have when you're reviewing something for people to listen to and understand, you know? So I'm going to start with the set and the lighting and um, the costumes a little and then move on to the actors slash the play as a whole. So first of all, the set, it was really pretty. There was a sheet behind the, the what is it called? Like the set itself, I guess behind the stage. And behind the sheet was the violinist Giselle and she was lit up. So we were able to see her when she was playing the violin, which reminded me of Frontera, actually. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Frontera was a multimedia, I think, that's what you can call it, dance, dance show. It included live music and pretty awesome lighting. And the the band, Fly Pan Am, was behind a sheet curtain on stage, just like it was slash is in this play. Uh, if you want to, you can listen to my interview and review about Frontera from uh, January 29th and February 5th. It's all on the website. CITR's website. <laughs> okay, going back to the play. I found it pretty great to be able to see Giselle because it added the live music aspect, which I was not expecting. I did not expect to, there to be actual violin playing just because, you know, it's about Vivaldi and Vivaldi teaching the violin. So that was, uh, that was amazing. It was also very interesting to see the woman. I hate calling her the woman. She needs a name. Okay. The woman, quote-unquote, played the violin, but, you know, it was actually Giselle playing. They were standing in front of each other. Giselle was behind the sheet, and then the woman was on stage. They were both playing the violin, and you could see their arms moving at the same time in the same directions. I feel like Tracy Jennison who plays the woman, practiced with Giselle, probably, which is I, which is a great detail that I, I really appreciated. Besides the sheet, the, the set was pretty standard, you know, and by standard, I don't mean like, okay, this, if I say it, I feel bad for saying it, but like, it wasn't like anything extra, extravagant, extra, it wasn't anything extra. <laughs> it, it was very well crafted. My friend and I, we really inspected it before the show started and we were like, is it painted wood? Is like, did they, did they get it uh, as a wood or is that something else? We were like trying to figure out what everything is. (laughs) Okay, so moving on to the lighting. The lighting was pretty well done. There were some different colors used, which is always great in conveying the emotions that the characters might be feeling or the tension of the scene, you know. Basically, it, it's another way to tell the audience what they should be feeling or what the the characters are feeling. We specifically enjoyed the one scene where the light was green. Also, oh my god, when Giselle was playing the violin with the, the woman, she was lit in such a way that it gave the feeling that the, like the... The, the gave the sensation of them being the same person which was pretty great and also I want I do want to mention that the lighting designer was Jacob Wan I think Jacob did a pretty good job with the lighting because you know 
it did its job and especially with lighting Giselle from the back I thought I thought that was pretty pretty well done good job the costumes were again very well done I think uh, I do not know about historical accuracy, but they looked good and they achieved their goal, which was to show us that this was set in the 18th century. It's it's 1740, right? So not modern. And the costume designer, Catherine E. Carr, I think did a good job with 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 what she was supposed to do also I kept staring I can't stop thinking about this I kept staring at the hem of the dress of the woman because I could not for the life of me see the stitches of the hem also I sew myself so anytime like any costume related thing anything clothing related I just look at the little details you know and I was just trying to figure out how she did the hems, but I could not figure it out. Did she do a blind stitch? Did she not need to hem the fabric? It looked like a fabric you would need to hem. You know, all those questions going on in my head that probably no one else had. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) let's talk about the actors and the play overall, shall we? So I have to start by saying that Tracy Jenison's Jen Jen Jenison? Yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Tracy, if you're listening to this. <laughs> Anyways, her enunciation is what kept me going. I mean, not literally, but you know what I mean, I hope. She enunciates every word so clearly. I was very happy. I I was impressed by it. I understood everything. It was amazing. The play started off with the two characters' monologues. I personally found that the pace picked up after the monologues when they actually met. I think both actors did a really good job portraying their characters. It was funny. Not as funny as some plays I've seen, but that's totally on the playwright again. Uh, Also, I think the actors' delivery was well. Like, they were able to make us laugh when they were supposed to. One thing that bothered me was the background music. There was Vivaldi playing, of course, but (laughs) I found it to be louder than it should be, and I was distracted. Not all the time, but sometimes I really just drifted off to my thoughts with Vivaldi, and the play was in the background, when it really should be the opposite. But besides that, it was well done. Uh, Also, spoiler alert, the two characters fell in love at the end and I have to share this with you. In my notes, I wrote, (laughs) quote, whoa, they fell in love in six weeks. I couldn't find someone in 22 years, unquote. And that's on being lonely. (laughs) Which brings me to my favorite quote from the play. Loneliness is not a bad thing. I won't lie, I don't remember the context of this quote, but I wrote it down because, I mean, with COVID, people feel lonelier, I feel lonelier, everyone, we're, we're all suffering from the same thing, and even though it feels pretty bad, it's not really such a bad thing to be alone. But, so yeah, overall, The Red Priest, Eight Ways to Say Goodbye, by the way, I, oh, the the reason I say eight ways to say goodbye, like, different from the Red Priest is because it's in parentheses. I should have mentioned this in the beginning. I'm so sorry. So the Red Priest, 
parentheses eight ways to say goodbye <laughs> was uh overall a good play i'm not gonna lie to you it was better than the last play i saw at the jericho arts center so because of the last one i was pretty hesitant to see this one but at the same time the one before that was good so i'm like you know what one good one bad this one I'm sure will be good. I'm sure the the one that I saw before this I thought wasn't that good. Maybe it was just that night. You know, you don't know. Actors have their bad nights too. Uh, but, okay. So, if you want to see two people and a violinist on stage, if you miss live theater, I would say check it out. It is at the Jericho Arts Center until December 2nd. Wait, December 2nd? I feel like in the beginning I said December 6th. Give me a second. Oh my god. Let's check. December 6th. It December 6th, yes. It's running until December 6th. If you feel like this is something you could be interested in, I would say go see it. Support your local artists and art centers they really need it especially because of covid things have been shutting down plays have been canceled or delayed and we're all really using art you know to cope what do you think the netflix movies you're watching are it's like cinema cinema is art and it's not just cinema you're listening to music you're reading books you're listening to podcasts Hopefully you're watching theater, even if it's not live. Oh, talking about live and not live theater. This, um, <laughs> this production, <laughs> The Red Priest, Eight Ways to Say Goodbye, you don't have to see it in person. You can also view it online, which is a pretty great option if you ask me. Also, the Arts Club is doing this too. I've done, I've done two reviews of the arts club's season so far which are the two plays that they had slash are having right now and even though i saw them in person because i was comfortable enough with going to the theater uh, of course i always wear my mask uh, and both in the arts club and at the jericho arts center there's social distancing and even though like even if <laughs> Even if you don't feel comfortable with going out, that doesn't mean that you can't see theater because they are offering online tickets, online viewing tickets, and they are cheaper than the normal tickets, as one would assume. So, check it out. Watch theater, man. Okay, we're gonna go into a quick ad and PSA break, and then we will be back. Discorder Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theater, Discorder lives. Your favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com. sick and have contracted COVID-19, the BC Center for Disease Control recommends staying home from work, school, and away from other public places. If you must go out, avoid using any kind of public transportation, ride sharing, or taxis. Monitor your symptoms carefully. 
If your symptoms get worse, call your healthcare provider immediately. Get plenty of rest. Stay hydrated. If you have a medical appointment, call the healthcare provider ahead of time and tell them that you have or may have COVID-19. For medical emergencies, call 911 and notify the dispatch personnel that you have or may have COVID-19. Cover your coughs and sneezes. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, or clean your hands with an alcohol-based hand sanitizer that contains at least 60% alcohol. As much as possible, stay in a specific room and away from other people in your home. Also, you should use a separate bathroom if available. If you need to be around other people in or outside of the home, always wear a face mask. Avoid sharing personal items with other people in your household, like dishes, towels, and bedding. Make sure all personal items are cleaned with general cleaning products after use. Clean all surfaces that are touched often, like counters, tabletops, and doorknobs. Use household cleaning sprays or wipes according to the label instructions. Hi, I'm back. I'm back. We're back. So if you are just now tuning in, this is The Arch Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Hello, welcome. My name's Sarah. So up next, we have my review of Lungs and then Silvana's review of Ridge. So let's start, shall we? Lungs by Duncan Macmillan was and is being put on by Mitch and Murray Productions at Studio 16. It follows two characters who are trying to decide if they should have a baby and their struggles. And when I say struggles, I mean it along the way. (laughs) That just got really serious there. The director is Michael Scholar Jr., who I actually interviewed about this play. And he does a much better job explaining what Lungs is all about. So I'd say go check out that episode. It's in last week's episode. Again, on CITR website. Just search up our support and you will see all of our podcasted episodes. So the cast is actually a couple. There are two people. They're married, Kate Craven and Erin Craven, which is pretty great considering they are already their own social bubble. So it's very COVID friendly. And also this play has an intense plot. So I feel like it might have been harder for them to to relate with the characters or you know play alongside someone else who might have gone through a fem- who might not have gone through a familiar situation and by a familiar situation i mean the dilemma of whether or not to have a baby so okay again i shall start with the lighting and the set and then move on to the actors slash the play itself so the set was just a stand slash a table i don't really know what it was <laughs> oops <laughs> they used it as a car a bed and I don't remember the rest like I don't remember what else they used it as but basically it served multiple purposes uh, the lighting was and the sounds were very well done there was a, a black sheet separating the tech people with the audience and the stage so I'm really curious as to how they did it Like, did they feed the lighting and the sound person, who are, by the way, Cheng Yanbud and Riko Han, respectively, what was going on on stage? Or did did these two just have amazing take rehearsals with with the cast and were able to conduct the lights and the sounds simply by listening? 
an answer that I might never know, you know? (laughs) Either way, both were very well done. And as Michael Scholar Jr. mentioned, the sounds in the play weren't to indicate the place or the time they're in because there are around 60 scenes. I think 60 or or more, I don't know, but like around 60 scenes. And almost all of them are in different settings. And thinking about that, imagine how much of a nightmare it would have been to have full, full on like props and a set with so many different settings. Also, I said like different times because the play follows these two in the span of a basically a lifetime and I I say lifetime because one of them dies spoiler alert oh oops (laughs) I should have put the spoiler alert before (laughs) I'm sorry so there was a use of heartbeat and breathing sounds it was a great use I think not too much not too little also I have definitely mentioned this before but I think it's a great addition and a great choice to have the actors breathe on purpose. I know it sounds weird. I do. But it's not. I promise you. Also, besides the actors, the breathing sounds were actually like, you know, sounds coming from the speakers. (laughs) Okay. Also, talking about breathing. In the beginning, there was a stress on the word breathe they need to breathe which ties in with both the name lungs and also the fact that breathing is living and they're trying to decide if they should bring another breathing living human being into this world which is a stressful decision to make and you see that stress very well in this play (laughs) okay on to the actors and the play overall It started off very fast. And when I say fast, I mean fast. This started off really fast. It was fast-paced. Faced? Oh my god. It was fast-paced throughout the whole play. Except for a couple of scenes where they were either fighting or it was a really sad scene with like crying. Which honestly I greatly enjoyed. It really pulls your attention when the play includes a serious fight or a very sad scene where the actors are crying. However, I also cannot help but find it funny when they start yelling because something in the back of my head is saying, they're not really fighting, this is just acting, which is not cool, brain, not cool at all. No. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, the actors, they obviously had great chemistry and they were working working really well together. And I think some of the scenes wouldn't have been as good if they weren't married in real life because those were very vulnerable and heavy scenes. And talking about the actors, Kate Craven did a really good job showing the, the thought spiral that one goes into. I mean, I think both of them did a really good job bringing their characters live and like showing their personalities. Uh, For example, I'm not sure if this was on purpose or not, but Kate's character stuttered a lot. And by stuttered, I mean, like she didn't have a stutter, but uh, at times, especially when she was going into those spirals, she would repeat words or not be able to speak correctly, you know. 
it really tied in with the with the numerous spirals she was having throughout the whole thing and Aaron's portrayal of his character was the <laughs> it was the perfect example of a guy we talk about when we say kill all men <laughs> His character basically didn't want to get married. Oh my god. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. His character didn't want to get married to his pregnant girlfriend. But they broke up because she had a miscarriage. And then after the breakup, he got engaged to someone else. And guess what? He cheated on his fiance with his ex. One whom he was broken up with. Like... You know, and Aaron made me believe it was him who did this, which is a great way to say he did a good job acting. <laughs> okay, the play was definitely an emotional roller coaster. We were laughing one scene and then being sad in the next. But overall, I thought it was a good play. I'm glad I got the chance to see it. And I'm also really glad I got the chance to talk to Michael Scholar Jr. Because it was, it really gave some insight to like when I was watching and you can still see it until the 22nd. You can go with a party of up to four because they have little pods of four. Uh, we went as a party of two, so you definitely do not need to fill up the pod. And that is for Lungs by Duncan McMillan. Uh, on, to, on to Silvana. Hello everyone, it's Silvana over here. And today I have a review for you. <laughs> Um, it's about Ridge. Ridge is a film that the ChanceCenters.com series has at this moment. It was released by the Chance Center in November 11th, so on Remembrance Day, because it's about the Battle of Bimi Ridge from the First World War. I say this is like a film. Um, it wasn't supposed to be initially a film. It was supposed to be, you know, a performance at the Chance Center of the Performing Arts at UBC campus. And it was going to be, you know, in person, on the stage. However, it was going to be in March. However, the pandemic hit, as you may remember. And now Ridge has been totally reimagined and turned into a film. So about Ridge, it is more like a storytelling it's like watching a storyteller um we watch um brendan mcleod and his folk band they are called the fugitives and they will they take us to the battle of vimy ridge through his words his monologue um his personal experience his personal connection with remembering with remembrance with learning about the war and making sense of all these events that happened so long ago, but really had such a great impact in lots of Canadians. And in general, just like had a big impact on the national imaginary of like what Canada is. Personally, I had never heard of this battle. And Brendan McLeod does like acknowledge this as not as common to like hear about it i guess outside of canada but the importance of vimy ridge is the fact that um canadian troops were present in 1917 and it is often touted as the quote-unquote battle that made canada but it also created a big um mark 
of identity and really you know it like showed all these people that they were really fighting for something and they were together in something I guess there's a lot of mythology around it I had never been a part of this um, up until right now I am a settler here in the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples I only arrived here like three years ago I have slowly started learning about these tales that surround us and this like mythologies um, and in Vimy Ridge there were more than 10,000 Canadian casualties and in Brendan MacLeod's life he remembers reading a book about the Battle of Vimy Ridge and really having an impact on whoa this could have been me right so long ago so many people didn't really have a choice and didn't really didn't really have the same luck of surviving and it's a very big thing that we all try to wrap our hand our heads around something as terrible as war so MacLeod what he does is he takes us through a monologue but it's also um it's not just him talking all the time there is live music um as I said f- from the fugitives and they are all lyrics that have to do with maybe the words of soldiers and feelings that they may have felt. More like putting putting ourselves in their shoes. And folk is really, I feel like, a genre that, that tells stories. That's from its like very inception, I feel like it's a very it's a very narrative genre, is how I understand it. So that was really nice having all these back and forths. There are also segments that each member of the band reads from books, from historical accounts of soldiers, and it invokes all these feelings. It's really, really deep and really, um, it's really powerful. That, that's kind of how it's laid up. The, um, the band and McLeod himself, they move all around the Chan Center for the Performing Arts. So I've been before to the Chan Center and I've covered some things for our show in CITR they have really, really great content and really amazing people presenting all the time. And you can really say that they made the best out of having the Chance Center totally empty. They really played with the space and the lighting and the shots of the film are also a very big part of what this narrative uh, becomes. So... The film itself was directed by Mike Southworth and there were some really, really cool choices from the very beginning. We can imagine a ridge, yes, and we, when we mention the first, like, first World War, we always think of the trenches. The very, very opening scene where the name Ridge is like, presented, we see a, a shot of the, of the seats at the Chan Center all lined up but from very high up above and it gives the impression that like it's this little like lines that are like into the floor you know where where the seats the seat halls I guess I don't know that space between like each row of chairs um and they it kind of gives the impression that like we remember what this is about from the get-go it's really 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 interesting the lighting works great it gives it evokes drama, it evokes warmth. They go all around the Chance Center. And when I say this is that I've never seen areas of the center like backstage, 
below the chairs at the balconies where the lighting is at at the halls it's just in very different places that we usually don't get access to but um, they totally used it to give such a different atmosphere and there were great at evoking different messages so i thought it was really really cool it was very personal and it really made me reflect about all these young soldiers that so long ago got involved in what is probably one of the most tra traumatic experiences so it was a very very great way to live this remembrance day but this film would also will also be up the at the chancecenters.com um, series up until December, December 21st. <laughs> if people want to see this film at any point, it's really, really interesting and it's really, really powerful. So a little more about this musical side of the um, performance. So the band The Fugitives actually say in, in the email that we got sent at CATR, that during the pandemic, where warm metaphors abound, these songs have given us much-needed perspective around hardship, the sacrifice of previous generations, and mostly, what vulnerable communities can be forced to endure at the hands of the government and military in a crisis. We think about these soldiers when we sing, and hope you will too. So, I really want to highlight the song that was about these young young boys, young teens, that enrolled in the military at the time. And it is a crime to to want to go back go back in battle, right? Um, not wanting to join in is a crime. And they have these young teenagers, like, shoot someone as a warning. And it just revisits how the idea and the notion that we know today of, like, PTSD and how badly traumatic experiences just as the war affect people wasn't really known of and and it's just very 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 shocking for them being so young being so unprepared and there's a very very beautiful song about this storyline there's another performance that i loved it like chilled my skin it was an acapella so all four performers did incredible harmonies it was really 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 good and it was um, at the backstage with all these like light bulbs so it was a very warm atmosphere and that was also a great piece of music but just in general like every single song was so so different and like it was shot at a different place and it was all about the different experiences of the war the different feelings that switch around all the while Brendan McLeod really delves into his personal um, account of remembering. It is through him that I have learned so much about what Vimy Ridge really represents and how we can ma make, make sense of it. Um, so he even went, he says that he went to Vimy in France to see the memorial and all the conflictive feelings that show up, all the different barriers for us when we try to make a connection to something that happened so long ago and that seems so strange to us, such as being at war. Sometimes it just feels unthinkable. And yeah, it was it was just really, really powerful. McLeod is really a great storyteller. 
um, and he's a spoken word artist. I thought it was very, very powerful, really made me think about what it means for Canadians and for the people that sometimes feel disconnected to this holiday. It's a really big ex exercise to try to put ourselves in these shoes. So if you have a chance, please go uh, to the Chance Center's um, website and check out Rich. Thank you for listening. FM Vancouver Reloaded, playing your favorite tunes and mouth-humping your ear holes full of voice talk. Yeah, we do that. In the context of Vancouver's opioid crisis, CATR would like to take a moment to share some harm reduction strategies. Try not to do drugs alone. When going out, let friends know what drugs you're taking and make sure someone has an Unloxone kit. If you're able to, get your drugs tested before taking them. Avoid mixing opioids with alcohol or stimulants. Remember that opioids can include painkillers prescribed by a doctor, and it's possible for any drugs to be contaminated with opioids. Learn the signs of opioid overdose, which include, but are not limited to, unresponsiveness or unconsciousness, inability to speak, breathing that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, heartbeat that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, skin tone that has turned blue or gray, choking or gurgling sounds. If you think someone is overdosing, call 911 immediately. Start rescue breathing and administer naloxone if you have it. You cannot get in trouble for being on drugs, so always call 911 in an emergency. For more information about naloxone kits and training, visit towardtheheart.com. Thank you and stay safe. Hey y'all, welcome back. So before we get into the interview really quick, I have to say that at some point she does um, say shit. So just, you know, just want to say it. Just want to let you know. But enjoy. Hi everyone. Today I'm joined by Chelsea Goodman, who is a local filmmaker from right here, Vancouver, BC. And we will be talking about her fantasy video game themed pilot, Epic Quest. Thank you for joining me, Chelsea. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. Of course. I'm glad you could make it. Um, to start off, could you tell us what Epic Quest is all about? Yeah, so Epic Quest is a fantasy video game series, mm -hmm. and uh, I wrote, directed, and co-produced it. And the very first episode, so the pilot, is available on the Fantasy Network for, for people to watch. That's amazing. How did you come up with the idea of Epic Quest? Basically, how did you decide that you wanted to write Epic Quest? Oh, man. So many summers ago, uh, I was camping out in the bush in Squamish. And at the time, I was watching the TV series Portlandia mm -hmm. and Xena, uh, Xena the Warrior Princess. And I remember thinking, I was like, what if I do a fantasy sketch show, like a fantasy sketch TV series? And then I was like, but what if it was also fantasy and video games mm -hmm. kind of merged together? And originally, I... Um, at the time, it was called Epic Journey, and 
originally I envisioned it as like a choose your own adventure series. Mm -hmm. So we would make the first episode and then the audience would vote if uh, the characters would want to, you know, you know, do option A or option B, and then they would pick the option and then Mm -hmm. we would film the next episode based on their options. Uh, Unfortunately, that's bit of a, you know, production nightmare. So I, I scrapped that idea and then I focused it just more on it being a, it's it's not an interactive series, but it kind of feels like it because it's a live action fantasy series, but it has like video game graphics and menus and health bars and magic bars and spells. And so it's like you're watching, in a way, you're watching a live action video game. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I that, that that's how I got the idea. And I... I just, I I wanted to do something, you know, fun, comedic, and at the time, so I I came up with the idea back in 2014, and at the time, uh, video games were really struggling with um, having well-done movie adaptations and Mm -hmm. having well-done TV series. Fast forward, and now we got, like, TV series like The Witcher, we have movies like Sonic the Hedgehog that are just doing so well. But back then, it it wasn't... And of course, video game, the video game industry was like esports was just rising, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to do something kind of just, you know, fun and like uh, adventurous and take a genre of video games that, you know, it is, is kind of hard to translate often into kind of the film and TV media and just go with that. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm glad that you're able to do it now because it's been you know, what, five years, <laughs> six years since you came up with the idea. So it's it's great. Yes. And with that, I'm wondering how long ha- did it take for you to create the pilot? And yeah, from like, I guess you mentioned that the conception of the idea was back in 2014. So how was the process? Yeah. Uh, wow, it was it was quite the journey. Yeah. So 2014, I came up with the idea 2015, I, I I wrote it. We we shot the pilot. There's actually two versions of Epic Quest. So what you see now on the Fantasy Network is uh, version two. Mm-hmm. Whereas version one, we were so Epic Quest was it was just done under very tight tight deadlines. Uh, we only had like you know a month of post production. Everything was kind of rushed. So when we finished version one, um, my producer Jeff and I, we just we just weren't happy with it. So mm-hmm. we decided to get it re-edited, uh, which is what you see in version two. And pretty much it took like another year for oh. version two to be edited simply because my entire product uh, post-production team and even myself we, we had day jobs. Mm-hmm. And so we can only work on Epic Quest on evenings and weekends. And of course, there were times where, you know, neither of us had time to work on it. So unfortunately, it just kind of, you know, sat there. Yeah. And but we, it was finally version do- uh, two was done in uh, 2018. And from there, I took the pilot and I entered it into a bunch of film festivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, no, Epic Quest, it was, it was definitely a, a long process. What really got us was the fact, like, all the visual effects and the video game graphics, 
you know, that is what really ate up our time because unfortunately, and we've learned our lesson, but when we were filming, we didn't have a visual effects supervisor on set to, you know, help us and show us, you know, how to properly set up the shot or what was going to work and what was not going to work. So unfortunately, like many filmmakers, we were fixing, you know, a couple of things in post, which was kind of a nightmare, but I I had such an amazing post-production team. Mm -hmm. They're all fabulous. We got through it all. We got it done. And it just, it looks amazing. And I'm, I'm so proud of it. And I still watch it and I'm just like, wow, like we did it. (laughs) So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, And talking about what you mentioned with the festivals, how was that process? Did you have to go through a lot of, you know, applying and with like the festivals or different networks? Uh, How was that until you got picked up by the fantasy network? Oh my God, what a journey. Um, <laughs> absolutely incredible. Yeah, how how I started um, our film festival journey is right after we finished Epic Quest, I won two tickets to the Vancouver Web Fest back in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I went to this film festival. Epic Quest wasn't in it because we missed the deadline. Mm-hmm. But I went there and I learned about um, just film festivals and... Uh, the fact that there are film festivals that are geared toward, towards web series and online content. And I discovered a website called um, filmfreeway.com, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, which is like without a box.com where it's pretty much this huge kind of social, uh, not social media, but this huge kind of network where you can, you can uh, look up like any type of film festival all over the world. So I, I, I did my homework. I, I got home. I pretty much looked up every single sort of web series uh, festival that was either associated or like partners with the Vancouver Web Fest or was accepting, you know, web series pilots. And I, I, I first applied to eight uh, festivals. Mm-hmm. I got seven no's oh. and one yes. <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Seven no's. One yes, and that yes was the very first film festival that we went to. It was called the Southern State uh, Indie Fan Film Fest. Mm-hmm. It's in Biloxi, Mississippi. Biloxi is this cute little southern fishing town in the state of Mississippi. Uh, we went there in January of 2019, mm-hmm. and we won our very first award, which was uh, Best Original Song. Oh. And then from there... I I just kept applying to more and more festivals and we just started getting accepted just one after the other, after the other, after the other. And we, as, as of right now, Epic Quest has won eight awards and has received 11 nominations. So it was, it was insane. It was crazy. Like I, I did not ex- expect this success. And, you know, um, most, most uh, film festivals, they're more, they, they more, you know, they, they want more dramas or they want like a full completed series. And yet they were um, very accepting of, you know, something like uh, Epic Quest, which is fantasy comedy. Now to, to answer your question about how we got on the, on um, the fantasy network. Yeah. Uh, so this year, I uh, I attended online to mm-hmm. the Gen Con Film Festival, 
Now, Gen Con is this huge convention, uh, which is all dedicated to board games, Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons. It's it's an incredible. It's such a cool convention, and mm-hmm. they have a they have a film festival. So yeah, I te- I attended online, and because this film festival was online, uh, the Fantasy Network was the platform that all our films were on. So pretty much audiences. Um, could watch all our stuff on the fantasy network and then of course you know attend or or watch you know our our seminars and panels online and stuff such so when yeah so when when this festival was going on I was doing so much promoting on our social media like literally every single day I would you know post about like this panel and what this happened this Mm -hmm. this and that and I always tagged the fantasy network in all my posts (laughs) and I, you know, they pretty much when the festival ended, they personally contacted me and were like, hey, we really like Epic Quest. Do you want to be on the Fantasy Network? And we were just like, oh, my God. Right. Like, just like, of course. Yeah. And um, it was just, oh, my God. It was it was just such a blessing in disguise because, you know, we like the Fantasy Network is pretty much a uh it's it's like the netflix but for fantasy Mm -hmm. and sci-fi tv shows and series it's it's all online and it's so like creative like creator creator driven so they you know they really support their creators like we we get paid in royalties for viewership uh the fantasy network now has a online store where um the merchandise that the creators sell they get a good percentage of the revenue that comes from nice. uh, the from from the merchandise that they can put towards their next series, the Fantasy Network helps creators, uh, you know, do like help raise money for like um, sorry, help them with their crowdfunding campaigns, raising mm-hmm. money for their series. It, it's just the perfect platform. It, it was something that we you know we were just waiting to come along because before before I attended Gen Con, right after we went to all these film festivals my producer and I went to the American film market Mm -hmm. down in uh, Santa Monica to sell Epic Quest to uh, distributors and a sales agent we actually had one sales agent from LA that wanted to buy Epic Quest but the deal the deal fell through because of COVID Hmm. so it was just (laughs) it was crazy because you know we we kind of like we we lost this opportunity with the sales agent, but then suddenly we got into Gen Con and then the fantasy network wanted us. So it was, it was just a blessing. So yeah, it's, it's been a crazy journey. It's yeah. um yeah. 2019 was just festival after festival. It was, I had, we, I had, we had so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It's it sounds so exciting though. She, you know, very different compared to 2020, I'm guessing. Oh, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um one thing to come out of 2020 is especially when we all went into lockdown is my producer and I had time to sit down and rewrite cuz cuz the first season of Epic Quest is going to be six episodes so mm-hmm. we we have time to you know actually sit down and write the six episodes and focus on everything yeah but also now being on the fantasy network you know we we now have time to you know 
Uh, like currently we're getting our, our website built, we're getting merchandise made, you mm-hmm. know, now we can finally run our social media. We, we have more time to do that sort of kind of behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the actual, the actual, like in real life events and traveling and stuff, we, yeah, it's, it's been tough. And, um, you know, we, we are, we do plan to, to film season one in summer mm-hmm. of 2021 and we hope we can safely. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to say at this point, but you know, that, that's kind of our, our focus right now. But yeah, um, one, one thing to come out of 2020 is, is kind of the demand for content, especially yeah. streaming content, because so many people, more people are at home, more people are watching, you know, uh, things online or mm-hmm. through streaming services. A lot of uh, movie, like as we know, movie, a lot of movie theaters aren't open yeah. or they are, but like new, no new movies are out right now. So more and more people are, you know, enjoying uh you know online content and what what a great time to be on something like the fantasy network yeah yeah it's wonderful and from your crazy journey back before COVID happened what do you think was the most challenging part for you uh oh just like the whole entire journey yeah yeah overall oh just overall I would say, oh boy, um, I would, I would have to say, filming Epic Quest itself and post production. Mm-hmm. Um, so Epic Quest was filmed in three days with one day of pickup, oh, wow. and the the pilot was was made. It, its budget was three thousand dollars. We made the whole thing on you know for three thousand dollars, and the fact that this pilot had stunts and fight. Uh, coordinating and costumes and lots of makeup and labyrinth sets and all that. Yeah. Uh, trying to do that <laughs> within three days with next to no money with like just hardly any time was just, it was insane. Yeah. It was crazy. And as you'll see uh, when people watch the pilot, uh, the, the scenes that we filmed in the forest that's that location we had to it's at inter river park in north vancouver and where mm-hmm. we filmed exactly we had to haul in all our gear by foot and that took pretty much a good chunk of our day yeah so it was it was oh my god it was just like fighting a war like just trying to <laughs> do all this crazy like this crazy labyrinth pilot for like no money yeah um but um you know, I, I remember, I can't remember who said this to me at the Gen Con Film Festival, but they said, if you don't have, if if your uh, film or TV series is filming it is not a crazy shit show, then you're not working hard <laughs> enough. And I'm like, yes, you're right. <laughs> Very like, <"Whoa."> true. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was it, in the end, we, we got it all. Yeah, definitely, de- definitely the filming of Epic mm-hmm. Quest, and then of, co- of course Post was you know a bit of a nightmare just because you know we were working with like graphics and visual effects. And um, another thing is when we so we filmed Epic Quest in March, which mm-hmm. was like as we all know, is like you have like three different seasons in one day. So yeah. unfortunately, a lot of the outdoor lighting in the pilot it just wasn't consistent. One minute it would be mm-hmm. you know sunny, it'd be cloudy, it'd be rainy, back to sunny, back to cloudy, back to rainy. So, you know, a lot of just the the coloring and such just wasn't matched up. And uh thankfully I had an amazing color corrector mm-hmm. to fix all of that. But you know, we were we were essentially 
battling the elements. So yeah, def- definitely that. And then the film festivals themselves, just uh, just just making sure to you know have all your promotional material ready, you know all your kind of because um, often festivals will want like a trailer from you or like yeah. a nomination clip or they want like bios or pictures or blurbs or like you know copies of your poster sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, just getting that all ready. I'm I'm also a graphic designer, so I design all our promotional material, yeah. uh, most of our online stuff. So. Uh, that helps for sure. And um, so just, just getting ready for that. But yeah, I think just making the pilot (laughs) was definitely, definitely the the biggest hurdle. I mean, I look back and like doing it again, which we will, like we we learned from our mistakes. Mm -hmm. We know what to do next time, how to be ready, definitely have a bigger budget, uh, a bigger crew, just, just be more ready. And yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, hopefully the shooting of the season in the summer will be less challenging and yes, yeah, yes for sure. I'm I, we've picked summer just because it it's just um the days have the most light. Mm-hmm. Doesn't rain. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's it's just easier weather wise. Um, so and. Uh, summer is usually not the busiest season for the, for the film industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there'll be more people available to, uh, you know, help us and work for us sort of thing. So, and, um, yeah. And, you know, summer is beautiful. Like you, like our weather's gorgeous and, you know, you can get some of the, you know, great shots and, yeah. you know, why not? Why not summer? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you'll be shooting in Vancouver, right? Yeah. Uh, Metro Vancouver, we uh we have still yet to location scout that's definitely something on our radar Mm -hmm. um yeah we we we're currently looking into uh different kind of like forest areas and kind of like fields and like rural areas Mm -hmm. that aren't really rural because we you know (laughs) have to you know park our trucks and trailers somewhere sort of thing i i definitely like uh kind of within the uh film community um you know i've been told like you know like certain like areas or farms or parks or national parks or you know definitely areas Mm -hmm. we can film in but yeah definitely metro vancouver probably north vancouver again yeah Uh, maybe vancouver island where we're still again we're still you know, researching and, and looking into all of that. Just just locations that, you know, are they, they look rural and look like a big labyrinth, I don't know, forest or field, but you know, it is is close enough because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're gonna have a location like into River Park where you're gonna have to haul in all your gear by foot, you know, that that's gonna take time. Yeah. So, definitely. Um, for sure. And so yeah. finally, I want to know, I want to know what you would say to the audience to give them the the final nudge they need to go watch the pilot on the Fantasy Network's website. Oh, yes, yes. So you can find Epic Quest on uh, thefantasynetwork.com. It's under the TV series. It's free. So you mm-hmm. can watch it for free. Uh, so yeah, just give that a Google. It's on there. Watch it, like it, share it with everyone. And then uh, you we, you can find us, Waterflower Studios, the production company behind Epic Quest on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We even have our own Discord channel mm-hmm. uh, at Waterflower Studios. 
And yeah, we're, and then of course, we're going to be launching soon, butterflyerstudios.com. That's currently being built right now. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be announcing that in a, in a few weeks. And then currently we're also getting uh, merchandise, merchandise designed for Epic Quest, which is going to be available on the Fantasy Network store. In the meantime, ch- check out the Fantasy Network store. It's really cool. They got t-shirts, mugs, pins, mm-hmm. figurines, e- everything you can ever think of from all the various uh, series uh, from the Fantasy Network. So yeah, it's it's there. Yeah, give us a watch and leave a review and share it with everyone and let us know what you think. Exactly. <laughs> yes, perfect. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about Epic Quest. I hope you will have a great time filming in the summer. And oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for joining me. All right. Thank you so much. Welcome back. And that concludes our shows for today. No, our shows. Our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back here next week and the week after that. I'm not sure about the week after that because we will be going on a winter break, but more on that on December 2nd. I'll talk to y'all later. Stay safe, everyone, and bye! Si a 